Um, well, as Dave um, said on that little clip, um, over the coming weeks, um, as we celebrate the Christmas season, we want to focus on this, this phrase, the wonders of his love. Words from the carol, joy to the world. And so with that in mind, today we're going to focus specifically on this word, wonder. Wonder. Um, and if you want to get a feel for the wonder of Christmas, I think a great way to do it is, as we did this morning, by turning to the start of John's Gospel. At this time of year, often we go you know, to the start of the Gospels and fish them out to remind ourselves of the stories of you know, Joseph and Mary and the innkeeper and all the rest of it. But if you've ever flicked to the start of John for that purpose, you'll have noticed, as you may have done this morning, that John doesn't bother with any of that. He just starts by just going simply to the beginning of the universe with these words. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And as he continues, it becomes clear that this, this word that he's talking about, this light that he's talking about, is Jesus. And he starts to describe the way that Jesus came into this world 2,000 years ago. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And... Uh, It strikes me that John may not have the nativity account, um, but I think this opening explains why the nativity story is so irresistible and enduring and dramatic. It's this kind of crazy juxtaposition, this idea that the very God who was at the center of creation, the light of the universe, came into this world, and yet, like John says, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It's nuts when you think about it, isn't it? He turned up and nobody even blinked. It reminds me of um, a few weeks ago, um, our founding pastors, John and Debbie, returned here after taking a few weeks out. They took a break after handing over the leadership of the church. And can you imagine if the day that they came back, they walked through those doors and I greeted them by just giving them a blank look on my face and just be like, hello, are you new? Like, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Um, because they're kind, they probably think, poor John, the stress of this world is taking its toll on him already. <laughs> But if you can imagine how weird that would be, how much more weird and crazy is it that God arrived on this earth, the earth that he created, and the humans, the ones that should have recognized him, because after all, we're made in his image, didn't even acknowledge his arrival, apart from one or two um, who did, but they had some not-so-subtle hints from hordes of angels. For the most part, he was too small, too insignificant to catch anybody's eye, because he chose to come as he did into obscurity. Something and someone wonderful came into this world, but the world wandered past the wonder. I don't know if anybody got to see um, an exhibit that's been on, on show at Woolerton Hall this year called Miniature Masterpieces by Dr. Willard Wigan. Did anybody check it out? Who saw it? It's fantastic. I think it might still be there in the new year, but basically he creates these incredibly tiny sculptures Yeah, so that's literally a normal sewing needle, not a big chunky cross-stitch one, like a normal one. They're tiny, using the most painstaking techniques. He makes these things. Look at that. It's crazy, isn't it? 
And um, you know, you, you could you could walk past them and literally just sit, mis- make the mistake of thinking, oh, they're just ordinary needles. But you'd have to literally peer into a microscope, and you see these wonderful things inside. Here's another one. His artwork reminds me of the Christmas story. To the naked eye, it was just another baby, wasn't it? There's one born every minute from a poor rural background in an insignificant part of the world. In fact, Jesus came exactly as the prophet Isaiah had foretold half a millennium before. He said, you know, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But on the other hand, Isaiah also foretold elsewhere that this diminutive servant king would be powerful and majestic and wonderful. Like those words up there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And, you know, the stories of Jesus' life tell us that his time on earth panned out exactly in these two ways, as had been predicted. Some just dismissed him as unimportant, whilst others stopped and paused and peered into the microscope and got to see the wonder therein. And that's how it's been ever since with Jesus. You know, there are some who dismiss Jesus, just walk straight past him, see him as an overhyped charlatan or just another guru like other religious figures. They sit ambivalently through nativities or perhaps they sing politely through carol services seeing nothing but a fairy tale or a tradition. Others still um, might glimpse him and wonder momentarily but then just before becoming distracted by the affairs of the world. In other words, there are many that wander past this wonder, sometimes once a year. And I think even those of us who would call ourselves believers, um, it's it's ironic, isn't it? But it's so easy to to overlook Jesus at Christmas. Do Do you ever find that? Amidst the distractions and the logistics and the poultry cooking times and the family politics and the seating and the sleeping plans and the relational tensions and the money and the health worries and the shopping and the driving and the driving in the snow, it's easy to just wander through it all and miss the wonder, isn't it? Just, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I was with a couple of close friends and we were reflecting on the Christmas that we just had. And we shared this sort of sense of discontentment that we'd allowed our kids to get whipped up into the frenzy of the commercial Christmas and kind of sidelined what it's really all about. And one friend sort of observed wisely, I think, he just said, and this is not the first time this has happened, has it? You know, if we want it to look any different next year, then we probably need to think ahead and do things a little bit differently if we want things to change. And I don't know if you've ever felt that Jesus got sidelined at Christmas in your experience in the past. And it seems to me that this point now, the start of Advent, is a good opportunity to look ahead, isn't it? And to ask ourselves the question, how are we going to prepare to celebrate Jesus coming without missing him these next few weeks? How can we avoid wandering past the wonder? How can we choose instead to pause and peer and see? So I want to focus this morning on one person who despite having a fair amount going on, did not miss Jesus the first Christmas um, and did get to see the wonder of what was happening. And this person is Mary. Now, I don't know how much you know about Mary, apart from the fact that she was um, Jesus' mum. She always wore blue. She um, <laughs> always gets pl- played by the best-behaved girl in the class. Those last two bits aren't in the Bible, actually. But the Gospels, from the Gospel, you can kind of pick up this picture that she was probably um, quite a poor young girl, young woman, living in a place and a time where women's rights were just 
extremely limited. Um, she was betrothed to jo Joseph, and um, engagement in that culture was much more sort of significant than the sort of modern Western version of engagement that we have here. Families would have been consulted, money exchanged from family to family. There's like a legal commitment where these two were sort of just stuck together um, and plans were firm. So that was what was going to happen in her life. It was all panned out. And then the angel Gabriel turned up and announced that she was about to have a baby out of wedlock. This child was going to be the Messiah, just obliterated her plans. And uh, so for Mary, it was going to be a bumpy first Christmas, if you'll excuse the pun. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, people were not going to buy this story that she had. Everyone would see that bump, and they would assume that you know Mary and Joseph couldn't wait, or Mary had cheated on Joseph. And it's hard to convey, really, in that culture, the sense of shame that she would have experienced as a result of her circumstances. Technically, adultery, which this potentially could have been um, perceived as, carried the death penalty in the Jewish law. So it was pretty, pretty difficult circumstances. Best case scenario would be that Mary and Joseph faced a life plagued by rumors, whispers in the street. Mary would walk in the consequences of shame the rest of her life. Probably more likely, though, or worst case scenario, Joseph would divorce her and leave her without any hope of financial stability or protection. So her life kind of was unraveling in the midst of all this. And I want you to think just for a moment of, you know, think in your mind now of a young woman around that age, perhaps one that you know. Think of somebody that you know that age and imagine them thrown into this circumstance. Imagine the fear and the confusion and the uncertainty and the vulnerability of that person. You got it. You can imagining that. And then listen to the words that came from Mary's lips in the midst of all this. This is uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter one, verse 46. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to follow along. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, I don't know what came to your mind, but I think if I heard that young woman in the midst of all of that say those words, I think I'd be thinking, do you know what? I think she's going to be all right. I think she's going to handle this okay, because these don't sound like the words of a vulnerable, frightened girl, do they? Because they aren't. They're the words of a young woman who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as Gabriel had foretold in um, chapter one, verse 35, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so this is her, she is empowered and she is boldly prophesying and she is thankfully preparing for the arrival of Jesus. And this, this prayer has come to be known um, across the world as the Magnificat um, because of that first line, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
And um, if, um, if you've got an NIV translation of the Bible, you notice that I think it says, my soul will glorify the Lord. But most translations, including this one, the ESV, go for the language magnify, magnify the Lord. Because the original Greek word that's been translated, it carries that sense of enlarging, magnifying, and most of the times that it's used in the Bible, it's used in reference to our worship of God, um, of our faith in him and a desire for that worship and that faith um, to swell, to be enlarged. So I think the wording, my soul magnifies the Lord, is, it does a good job here. I think it beautifully expresses how Mary responds in this moment, that she's making a choice. She's making a decision about what she is going to emphasize at this point in her life, what she's going to focus on, what she's going to magnify by turning our attention, not to her concerns, problems or challenges, but to his goodness. Like Dave said a minute ago, do you remember what Dave said at the end of the worship? He said, it's not about how we are, it's about who you are, and that's why we worship. And I think, of course, this is a challenging thing to do because sometimes, as humans, we struggle to look beyond our own issues, don't we? Um, Well, I certainly do sometimes. I remember when Abby was um, in labour, Um, quite a few years ago now with our first child, I had to sit all night in this really uncomfortable chair. And, um, I know, and... (laughs) I cricked my neck really badly. I could barely lift my head. And you just wouldn't believe how unsympathetic those midwives were (laughs) about the whole thing. (laughs) I don't know, have you ever met anybody who's always focused on their problems? who always wants to draw draw you back to their problems, where every silver lining has to have a cloud. And of course, this is a church where, you know, we want to be real and we want to be open about our challenges and our struggles and we want to talk about those things, but we need to be conscious as we do so that there comes a point where we're no longer seeking just appropriate counsel and support and we're actually just magnifying our problems. And I think Mary's example is an extraordinary challenge to that outlook. And I think it's distinctive and I think it's refreshing because she had more reason than most to vent, but she chose to do the opposite. It's like she's saying, look, don't look at me and my stuff. If anything, look through me. I offer my heart and my soul as a magnifying glass. And I just want you to look through me and draw your attention to him, to the wonder, to the wonder of him. As Jesus was growing in her womb, it's as though she's saying, put your eye to the microscope And you see this tiny thing in here, it's the most wonderful thing. It's the most wonderful thing, more wonderful than you could possibly imagine. And I'm just going to go back through that passage and just emphasize some of the examples that she, the way that she does that. So if you look um, at the start, her life and her jeopardy, sorry, her, her safety was in jeopardy. Her security was kind of hanging on a thread. Yet she says in verse 47 that the Lord is her saviour. That's what she chooses to say. Her plans had been obliterated. But if you look in verse um, 48, she says, um, from now generations, all generations will call me blessed, for he has done great things for me. See what I mean? She, um, she could have drawn attention to the fact that she faced social ostracism as a result of what was going on, how it wasn't fair, but instead she chose to highlight God's good character. Verse 50, his mercy It's for those who fear him. She could have talked about how she was vulnerable and um, weak, but instead, verse 51, she highlights God's strength. He's shown his strength. 
She could have talked about the fact that she risked poverty and hardship. But no, she talked about how he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. His, 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 his ability to provide. And also here, she's prophesying about what Jesus is gonna do as well. Did you notice that? He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich is sent away empty. She could have asked the question, where is God in all of this? But instead, in verse 54 and 55, she highlights God's faithfulness, how he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he promised to Abraham and to his offspring. It's incredible what she does, I think. Now, of course, Mary, as a human, she was experiencing something totally unique. She literally gave her body as a vessel for God. And Jesus grew in her womb and nursed at her breast and cried in her arms. And so that was unique to her. We don't do that in quite the same way. But I think her posture, the heart with which she did this and prepared for Jesus' arrival is something of a challenge and a model to us as we approach Christmas. You know, these next few weeks, as we prepare to celebrate Jesus' arrival, I think her example begs us the question, what are we going to focus? What are we going to draw other people's eyes towards in these coming days? What are we going to choose to magnify with our heart and soul? And so I've got some practical thoughts about how we could follow Mary's lead. So first, let's choose these coming weeks to magnify what God has done over what he's not done. Christmas is a time when often we can be reminded about some of the difficult things, about loss and pain and feelings of disappointment. Um, can linger, those kind of feelings can linger around stubbornly, like the aroma of digesting sprouts. It might be like another year since something difficult happened, some bad news that changed our life. It's another year past and we're still waiting for that breakthrough, that relationship to get sorted out. And these kind of things, as difficult and, and important and painful as they are, they have this risk of, they present this risk of just drowning everything else out. And so I think it can be helpful, and I think it is indeed important, to intentionally immerse ourselves in a narrative of what God has done instead of only seeing what he has not yet done for us. In other words, remind us that Christmas, I think, is a great time to remind us of the wondrous story and the wonderful news about how he came. I'd encourage you in the next few weeks, at some point, you know, switch off the telly, switch off Christmas celebrity goggle box or whatever it is that you're watching, get yourself cozy, get your favorite tipple, maybe some little mulled wine, I can recommend that pretty well. And then, whether it's on your own or with others, I'd encourage you to read out loud um, the opening sections of the nativity narrative. Read Matthew and John and Luke, and maybe especially Luke. Um, the first couple of ch chapters of Luke, he, he's just the master storyteller. And when you read it all in one go, it's amazing the way he sort of interweaves all the stories of Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna when Jesus is a young child. And as the story develops... It helps to kind of, the way he does it, he chops all these characters together in these stories and you just get this mounting sense in the broader story of the Bible that God is just about to do something incredible because the context is that just before Jesus arrives, there's been like a few centuries where the prophets haven't been prophesying, it's been sort of silent, there's been no miracles, it's really felt as though the presence of God has been absence. But then as Luke chops between these little stories, you get this growing sense that God is arriving. 
God's about to do something incredible. Angels start appearing and talking to people. Where there's been no miracles for centuries, miraculous things are happening. Babies are being conceived in impossible ways. And the prophets are waking up and they're bursting into spontaneous song like characters in like a musical that we would watch now. It's a brilliant thing to do. So I'd encourage you to do that. And um, I was going to bring it up actually, but if you're new to the Bible and you haven't got a Bible and you, never, and you don't, wouldn't know where to start, we've got these, yeah, chuck us that. Cheers, Abs. Um, we've got these um, copies of um, Luke's gospel in a sort of really beautiful contemporary book. And so literally, you could just start the first couple of chapters in Luke. They've got them over there. If you've, if you've not got one, one and you've not got a Bible, that's a great way to start. So anyway, I'd encourage you to do that, to immerse ourselves in this story, uh, not focusing on what God hasn't done in our lives yet, but the wonderful things, the wondrous thing that he did 2,000 years ago. And, and sort of like, just marinate in that. Let's magnify not the things that God has yet to do, but the things that he has. And to share them with the world, as Mary did. Um, As was said previously, next week is our carol service. And it's just a brilliant opportunity um, to invite friends and neighbours. And and, and, and one of the things I wanted to stress about that is that when we do that every year, when we invite our friends to come to the carol service, it's not just about, you know, simply saying, oh, come and, you know, come to this really cool church event. It's so much more than that. It's about saying, come and behold the wonder, the wonder of Jesus. That's what we're inviting people to come and do. And it reminds me of when we, when, um, when, the, when we went to the kids, when we went to see that art exhibition with the microscopes and looking at the needles. It was brilliant because like every time one of us looked into the microscope to see one that we hadn't seen before, we were like, oh, you've got to come and see this. You've got to come and see this. This is amazing. And the thing I want to say is that the carol service is a bit like that, except the thing that we're inviting people to peer in and see is more wonderful than a piece of artwork. It's the wonderful counsellor. It's the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So that's one thing. Let's magnify what God's done, not what he has yet to do. Second, like Mary, as we prepare to welcome Jesus, let's magnify his plans over ours. Sometimes, like Mary, the plans that we have for our lives don't exactly line up and match up with God's. And even though we know God's plans are better in theory, it can be hard, especially when, like Mary, he'd have us do stuff that others don't understand or wouldn't have planned for us. But again, I think Mary's example shows us a way to act when God's plans interrupt ours. You know, it might be that it resonates with you because perhaps you are at a point where you're starting to explore Christianity right now. It might be that you're, you're learning about Jesus and your friends and your family think that you're losing the plot. This isn't their plans for you. And perhaps they're making fun of you or perhaps it's even worse, they're really disappointed in you for what you're doing. It might be um, something to do with your finances. Perhaps you've been saving and building your finances towards something, um, but you hear a story, you heard a story about a friend recently in need or some kind of cause, and you get this feeling that it's God's plan for you to bless that instead, and his plans are interrupting yours. It might be somebody in your life that needs you to be there for them at this particular point in time. It might be that you, you, know, you realize we need to accommodate that person for Christmas and it's not compatible with your seating plan. It's not compatible with what you've got lined up, but you sense it's the Lord. 
Whatever it is for you, I want to ask the question, what would it look like for you to magnify the Lord's plans over and above our own these coming weeks? And, and I think that can be a challenge at Christmas because Christmas is a time when we love to plan, isn't it? And when we can get preoccupied with our own plans. You know, well, am I going to get everything on my list? And if I don't get everything on my list, when's the soonest that I can buy it for myself on Amazon on Boxing Day? And when's it going to arrive? And what time are we going to drive over to mum's? And who's not going to drink so that somebody can drive Auntie Mildred back home? And all that stuff, plans. What would it look like for us to care as much about his plans as those plans? How would it change the way we spend our time? The conversations that we're going to have in the coming few weeks and days. You know, we're going to be sat in rooms, we're going to be sat around tables, we're going to be in different parties and gatherings. And there may be rooms that we know we're going into, conversations that we know we're going to have that our plan is just basically to get it over with. But what would it look like to step into the Lord's agenda there. Maybe he's got divine appointments for us. Maybe there are conversations that he wants us to have with people about him. Maybe there are people that he wants us to pray with over the table in the coming days. Final thought these coming weeks, let's magnify his faithfulness, not our adversity. Perhaps like Mary, you're facing a particularly challenging Christmas. It might be a relationship challenge. It might be health, loneliness, adversity, financial hardship. It may be that you know, the news of the, the financial turmoil that the city council is in is close to you and you're concerned about that. And these kind of issues, they're difficult at the best of the times, aren't they? But Christmas has a way. You know, the tinsel and the lights have a way of making it feel even worse, doesn't it? But I want to suggest... If we can see anything in Mary's example, it's that our circumstances do not need to dictate the posture of our heart. We do have a choice. We can't control everything that happens to us. We can't dictate the events of our life. But we can choose for our soul to magnify our saviour over and above our sufferings. And it's possible to do that no matter what we face. I don't know if you, who is, if you were here a few weeks ago um, in the evening, when we had a visitor from Open Doors, a lady who had grown up in North Korea. Was anybody here to see that? I think it's available um, digitally if you weren't. In a country where being a Christian is to risk a death sentence, and that's what she's lived through. And yet, in the midst of it, her prayer now is to go back and tell others about Jesus because she's just been so overwhelmed by his goodness and his wonder. And so that's what she's planning to do. And... You know, I realize you say an example like that and it makes it sound so simple, doesn't it? And I don't want to minimize or trivialize the problems that different ones of us in this room will be facing, the adversity we're experiencing. But I think the truth is, if Mary could do it, if that lady from North Korea could do it in the midst of what they face, then we can too. Because the same Holy Spirit that strengthened and empowered Mary and that lady is present in and to us. The same spirit helps us to act like that microscope and be something that helps others look to and through to see how wondrous Jesus is, revealing what he's done, focusing on his good plans and magnifying his faithfulness such that we can pray this prayer with our heart and our soul and our mind. And so I wanna ask that question. As you prepare these, as you prepare these next few weeks, to celebrate and welcome Jesus. Are you up for praying this prayer along with me and Christians around the world? As for us, 
my soul will magnify the Lord because he is the wonder to behold. 